Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Explore the next wave of innovation at CES 2018. Discover the latest breakthrough technologies in virtual reality, artificial intelligence, smart cities, and more. Featuring an extensive show floor, visionary speakers, and lucrative networking events, CES is a global event like no other. Register today at CES.tech. Hi, welcome to Remote Controlled, Variety's TV podcast. I'm Deborah Birnbaum. Every week, we'll bring you conversations with some of the best and brightest in television, working behind and in front of the camera. On today's episode, we're talking with The Office star, Jenna Fisher, about her new book, The Actor's Life. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Deborah Birnbaum, and it's my pleasure to welcome Jenna Fisher. Hi. How, how are, are you? you? Good. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. Thank Congratulations you. on the book. It's called Actor's Life. Tell me, wh- how did it start? Why did you come up with the idea? Why did you want to write a book? Well, a long time ago, back, remember MySpace? Remember the I remember that. The blogging. I, am, I am old enough to remember MySpace. <laughs> well, it was a blogging platform and a music sharing platform. And um, I had a MySpace page, and I would reach out to fans, and I would answer questions um, anything trivia about the office mainly or whatever, um, questions about becoming an actor. And I used to get a lot of questions about how did I make it as an actor or how did I get my audition for the office and mm-hmm. things like that. So I decided to sit down and I wrote, it took me about three months. I wrote a really what I thought was a comprehensive blog post essay on how I broke into the business and included a lot of the realities of the business um, from uh, you know an aspiring and working actor's point of view. Well, that blog post, I guess it went viral and it's still out there today. And I have acting students who tell me their teachers hand it out to them when they're graduating. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, and, and I thought, you know what? I have so much more that I could share. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to expand this blog into a full book. And so that was the that was kind of the origin story of the book. But I've always just felt really passionately about um, encouraging young actors and aspiring actors and helping to give them all of the advice and insights that I wish I could have had when I first started, sort of like filling that void that I think a lot of new young performers have when they're ready to, they have, you know, they go to school, you get trained, Mm -hmm. you learn how to act, but you don't learn how to take that training and make it a career. Right. So this book is meant to bridge that gap. It's funny because we were just talking about, you know, what people think acting is all about. And it's not just going to parties every night. And I think the book pretty much lays that out. It's, I mean, you can have that life if you want it, but if you want to be a working actor, there's, it's a, it's a different reality. Yes. And, and I, that's completely true. Um, I think I thought when I first came to Los Angeles that, uh, 
I needed to go to parties because I needed to network. I needed to be seen. I needed to be discovered. Those were the stories I had heard about how people made it. I also thought that you could go from being completely unknown to starring in a movie. Um, and it it just wasn't the reality. You know, mm-hmm. I, I came out here with very big expectations of earning a lot of money and being an actor in a matter of a year or two. And um, and it took me eight years before I landed my role in the office, and it took me six years before I was able to pay my bills from acting alone. That's amazing. Talk about the process of sitting down to write this book. Was it a hard thing for you to do to kind of you know figure out how you're going to break it down chapter by chapter? It was hard because I'm not a writer, and um, I was staring at a blank page trying to figure out how to fill it. And I was actually very inspired by the opening of Amy Poehler's book, Yes, Please, because she talks about how hard writing is. And I thought, okay, I love every time a working artist tells you that it's not easy, Mm -hmm. because then it makes me feel like I'm not doing it wrong. I just have to work harder, and then I can accomplish it. So that was a big source of inspiration for me. And then um, what I did was um, I went back and I looked at all my old blog posts. I did a blog for TV Guide. I did a blog for MySpace. And um, I started looking at that material because a lot of times I had stories and things to share. Because the book is a book of advice, but it's told through my personal successes and failures. More my personal failures. (laughs) (laughs) You had some successes. (laughs) You had some successes, but I feel like we learn more from our missteps. Indeed. So I share many of those stories in the book. So there's a type of memoir aspect and I mean, even if you don't want to be an actor, you might find just some of that behind the scenes stuff somewhat amusing and interesting. I talk a lot about working on The Office or things that I learned working on various sets with various people. Um, But also the many things I learned while sitting in my apartment eating cereal, waiting to be on one of those sets. But um, And then I speak to acting students a lot. I go around and lecture to classes for free. And um, I basically just go in and say, what do you want to know? What what, What would you like? to hear about. And they asked me questions and I started taping those lectures and had them transcribed. And that became a lot of the material for the book as well. So I I had to like find resources for the writing because sitting down and just looking at a page and telling myself to write something, it wasn't it, it wasn't working so well, but, and the book took me like over two years to write wow. for that reason. You know, it just was, it was a long process. I wanted to get it right. I wanted to make sure that I, it was a good resource. What's the one question you get asked the most? Um, on this subject of yes. acting, mm-hmm. how do I get an agent? How do you get an agent? And um, that was the first question I asked because I thought that's what you, the first thing you needed when you get to town, you need an agent because agents get you work. Um, in my book, How to Get an Agent is chapter three, because I think there's two chapters worth of stuff you have to do before you get an agent. So, um, What are those things? Um, you need to have a body of work um, on your own. You have to be in the union. You have to get yourself in the union mm-hmm. because agents don't want non-union people. So you have to figure out how to get yourself in the union. And I have a whole chapter on it. And how did you get yourself into the union? I did extra work. I worked as a background performer, and I earned three vouchers over about two years of extra work. And then I became SAG eligible, which is an awesome sweet spot, because (laughs) then you can still do non-union work to earn money, but you can start applying for union work. You can start sending yourself out for union work. And um, then 
about four months after I became SAG eligible, I was able to do a, like a three line role in a movie. And then I had to go down and pay my dues because I was now SAG. Do you still remember those three lines? Oh my gosh, <laughs> I don't. And I wish I did. Um, it's in a movie called The Specials mm-hmm. starring Rob Lowe. And I pull up in like a um, convertible and I like yell at someone for their autograph. And um, so, yeah, I play like at the time I was always like college girl number one, waitress number two. So it was like one of those roles. So, okay, chapter one is build a body of work. What's chapter two before you get an agent? Oh, well, chapter one is move to Los Angeles or New York and (laughs) um, find a group of like-minded artist friends, create a tribe, um, do anything you can to be working, get a day job. Chapter two is build your resume yourself, um, get great headshots or get any headshots get better headshots than I got. And I show many examples of my failures to get good headshots at first um, and get in the union. And then chapter three is, okay, now you're ready to look for an agent. Talk about the headshots. It's such a funny thing to go back and look at photos. What did I know? You know, I don't want to give it away, but I'll let you tell the story about what you found when you look back. Um, I found that I kept wearing the same outfit every time I got my headshots taken. And it was an incredibly unflattering outfit. Describe the outfit, please. Should Mm -hmm. I describe it? A set of brown corduroy overalls and Birkenstocks. What? Why? Why? And and sitting in like these very, like I kept posing. I'm shy. I don't like to get my picture taken. Mm -hmm. Um, I like to be in motion and entertaining and talking and all that. And, And I get... I freeze up like most people do. And I think Mm -hmm. like most actors do too, or we would have gone into modeling. You know, there's a whole art to modeling Mm -hmm. and getting your photograph taken. And, and so everything about my early headshots say, I don't want to have my picture taken (laughs) from my (laughs) outfit, which is like covered from head to toe to the way I'm sitting. And, um, all that happens in my early headshots is that my hair grows longer. Like that is the only (laughs) noticeable difference. But then, you know, finally, you know, like four years in, I go and I take a workshop and I get some great advice on how to take a good headshot. Um, And I pass that advice along. So hopefully if you're reading the book and you're seeing all my mistakes and I tell you the tips that I got, then maybe you don't have to take seven headshots before you get your good one. I also love that you took this ultra glam headshot, but that didn't work either. It was a beautiful photo, yes. but it just didn't match. Yeah, I, I realized my mistake and I was like, I'm hiring a photographer. I'm hiring hair and makeup. I'm going to get a stylist. And I got a shot like, Gort- I still love that picture. I, I look like they did my makeup so that my lips were real like plump and just some smoky eye and just very, I, I call it just like very Angelina Jolie, just super awesome but then when I would walk in the room for my audition I got called in all the time from this headshot I look super sexy and like I look like kind of like a tough girl and then I would get called in all the time and then they would see me walk in the room and I didn't look like my headshot I looked like a nice ingenue but they were like oh we thought you were like the brassy like ball buster and I'm like oh no that's just my headshot so it so I had a headshot that was now opening a lot of doors, but it was opening the wrong doors. So right. it wasn't really helping me at all. So I talk about that too, which is just know what you're selling, know what your brand is, know what you're advertising. And 
don't get a headshot that's the best looking version of yourself or the skinniest or the prettiest or the youngest or whatever it is. Um, get the headshot that looks exactly like you because that's what you're selling. Talk about some of the extra work you did. I love the story you told about b- being on that Jurassic Park ride. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. Was that the worst extra job you had? Oh, by far. Mm-hmm. By far. It was awful. Um, yeah, I had been in Los Angeles for 48 hours and I had a friend who worked at Central Casting and she called up me and my other friend from college who was out in Los Angeles working. And, um, and she was like, you guys, you guys, I have a lead on a non-union extra gig that pays $100 for the day. And we're like, what? Usually they only pay $50. She's like, it's just because there's like some kind of like stunts involved. But like, you guys totally qualify. So she's like, come down. You guys got to do it. She's like, I'll book you on it. And I'm like, yes, I'm, I already have a job. Look, I've been here 48 hours. Like, it's going to happen for me, clearly. You know, LA can't wait to have me. Absolutely. So we go there there and it's on the universal studios lot like we drive on we have no idea what we're doing um we try we get drive on passes i'm like i'm on the lot and we walk by where we're supposed to go to universal studios theme park so we go there and we walk by arnold schwarzenegger who's playing big basketball outside of like a sound stage we're like oh my god we're with famous people it's (laughs) happening so we go up and then we find out that what we're doing is it's um, an ad for the new Jurassic Park water ride, which hasn't opened yet. So they're like, what we need to do is just load you into the little boats and you'll just ride the ride and we're going to film you. And we're like, oh, my gosh, we get to ride the ride before everyone else. This couldn't be better. <laughs> oh, my God. We get in the boat and we ride the ride and you're like, oh, yay, fun. Oh, dinosaurs. Ah, And then we ride it again. And then we write it again. And then we write it again for 12 hours. We rode the Jurassic Park ride. But it's a water ride. How cold was that water? It was so cold. Also, you know, the water ride doesn't get you that wet. But for the sake of the commercial, they had guys with hoses spraying us with water. (laughs) And then at the end, they brought out a water cannon that shoots like giant, icy, cold water cannonballs at us and let me just say we were extras like no one's running over to us with like towels and snacks or anything in between takes there were like two people who were like the main focus of the commercial and they could they would get out of the boat and get dried off and like they blow dry their hair and put them back in the boat no no no. we just sat in this boat just drenched and freezing and hungry and then because no one gets treated worse than an extra on a movie but it's a great it's it's a great thing to do because you get to see a working set in action. You get to hear the terminology. You get to see, it's a great way to observe because you don't learn that stuff in theater school, mm-hmm. in acting school. You know, you learn how to act, but you don't learn what does it mean when they say clear for a second team. You know, what does it mean when they say go back to one? You know, all the terms. So if you're an extra, you can see all that. So I found it fascinating, um, except for the, it was it was awful. We left. We were soaked. We didn't get a voucher. We got a hundred bucks. And we, we were like shell shocked as we left. We didn't speak as we left. We we called our friend and we were like, we kind of hate you right now. <laughs> our friend at Central Casting. But that was That was my very first paid like acting job in Los Angeles. And it was background work, and it was for that ride. 
I was like, what did I get myself into? And yet you, st- you stuck through it. I stuck it out. The other job that I loved that you had was being a TCA transcriber. Uh, having sat through t- TCA and many times on my side of it, mm-hmm. it's interesting to know that you were sitting there in the front of the room transcribing all of those panels. It's crazy. Yeah, they, they do this thing called the Television Critics um, Association it, like press conferences every fall. All the new creators and stars of the new television shows come out to this big event in Pasadena and they hold press conferences or panels where they talk about their show, why it's going to be great, and the press all sits in a pool and listens and takes notes. But they also have an official transcriber. Um, and I can type really fast. So um, ironically, I'm a very good office worker. <laughs> um, that's how I earn my living and all my day jobs was from being a typist. And so it was my job to sit in on the press conferences, take shorthand notes, and then they would provide me with an audio tape of the press conference. And with my notes and the audio tape, I would transcribe the event. And then that got handed out to the press pool. And um, if we got our work done on time, we got to go to the parties, quote unquote parties, mm-hmm. um, which were great because to me, like everybody else at the party was working. The the executives were working. The actors were working. The press was working. I was eating free food and drinks. And I didn't have a lot of access to food because I was a poor struggling actress. <laughs> So you might have noticed in the book, I do speak a lot about food, how to find food, how to get food on the set. I, as I was reading over the book I in its final a lot form, to that. <laughs> I was like, I really discuss snacking a lot in this book. But I feel like I'm your person. I'm going to let you know where the snacks are. And the snacks are, you know, that's why I recommend one of your day jobs should be catering. Mm-hmm. You can almost get a free, almost always get a free meal out of it at the end of the day. This is important when you're a struggling actor. I mean, that's going to save you 10 bucks. It's so, important. Little tips, little tips like that that Pro you didn't tips even from think Jenna Fisher, you needed. People. Yes, how to get a free meal when you're a struggling actor. The thing that broke my heart, one of the things that broke my heart the most was the actor's pizza. Oh, yeah. Uh, do you want to just give that recipe? Yes. Okay, you just need a slice of bread, one ketchup packet, which you can, you know, you can snag that from anywhere, right? You don't even have to buy that, and a piece of American cheese. So you toast your bread. And then you put the ketchup packet on, and then you put a piece of American cheese on top. Just pop that in the microwave till the cheese melts, and that's actor's pizza. Delicious. So good. I don't want to know how many of those you ate. Many. Many. (laughs) One of the benefits, going back to TCA transcribing, you mentioned getting into the parties, and you tell a great story of trying to get into the Saturday Night Live party and what that meant for you. Yeah. That changed my life. That changed, like, my ability to sort of hold on. Yeah, I, I... I snuck into the SNL party. That was the one I wanted to go to the most. And I had to go through a lot to get into that, which I describe in the book, but I won't go into here now, but involved a lot of lying that eventually got me fired. But anyway. <laughs> but there's a, there's a happy ending. It Stick with the story. Um, so I sneaked into the party, and um, all of the SNL folks were there from that season. It was really cool. Like, Norm MacDonald was there. And then I kind of zeroed in on um, Molly Shannon, who's like, like just amazing, like one of my idols. And um, she was talking to a bunch of reporters and I kind of inserted myself into that group and was making lame jokes and was really like in the way of what was supposed to be happening, which was they were supposed to be interviewing her and asking for sound bites. And I'm like, they're like, who is this lame hanger on her? Which I realized quickly and I shut up. But when they walked away, I turned to Molly Shannon and I just said, Molly, I'm sorry that I was acting weird. I I'm, I work here and I'm um, not even supposed to talk to you, but um, 
I just wanted you to say that I look up to you so much and I'm an actor. I'm struggling. I've been out here about a year and it's really hard. And I just, I don't know. Do you have any advice? And, um, and I feel like she could have easily just been like, Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Thanks. But I have to go, you know, like that would have been appropriate because of how sort of inappropriate it was for me to have crashed this party. Um, but instead she just, she turned right to face me and she gave me her full attention. She actually like put her hands on my shoulders and looked me in the eyes and she said, yeah, my advice is don't give up. Just don't give up. Just keep going no matter what you can do it. And she said, it took me 10 years before I got on Saturday night live. She's like, no one knew who I was for 10 years. And then I got on SNL and everything changed for me. So you just got to hold on. Okay. And then I was like, thank you. And then she walked away and I thought, wow, it took Molly Shannon 10 years Mm -hmm. to get noticed. She's so talented. I'm not going to beat myself up that I've been here one year and I haven't gotten noticed. Like part of this is that it takes time to build an awareness about you and it takes time to build a body of work and it takes time to climb that ladder. And I'm going to stop putting a time limit on my success. And, um, and I told my mom that story and when I would get really down because you basically cry every anniversary that you've been in Los Angeles or (laughs) New York, I think like you're, you definitely know when you arrived and you're like, oh my gosh, it's year four and this is as far as I've gotten. Um, and I would call my mom and I would be like, it's so hard. And she would say, just remember what Molly Shannon told you, babe, just remember it took her 10 years. So I really held on to that. And, um. And I also told myself that if I was ever in a position to pay that forward, that I would, because there are so few cheerleaders for the aspiring artist. Um, it's just, um, I think, I, I don't know. There Sometimes there can be a competition among artists or among actors, and um, you're afraid if you if you give someone help that it's going to like mean that you won't get there or something. And I just thought I'm, I want to be a Molly Shannon in the world. And that's another reason why the book came about. Cause it's like, if an actor asked me to go to lunch or go have coffee and tell them everything that I knew, that's what the book is. It's just everything I can possibly think of to help you out. And, um, and I should say 10 years later, um, I was, I had just starred in my first lead role in a studio movie, which was Walk Hard with John C. Riley, directed by Jake Kasdan. And um, and I went to the after party for that. We went to the premiere, went to the after party. And there were some SNL folks in the movie, like Tim Meadows and Chris Parnell. And Molly Shannon came to support them. And I went up to her and I was like, Molly Shannon, 10 years ago you told me this thing and I told her the whole story and she was like oh my gosh and first of all she's just everything you hope she would be right she like totally like exceeds your expectations of how wonderful she is and um and then I had so I made someone come over and take her I'm like, can I take a picture with you this was before cell phones and um I had like a photographer come over and take our picture and I have that picture in my office because I was like yeah I w- 10 years and now here we are again and uh I made it thank you you did it I did it. All right. We'll take a quick break now. We'll be back to hear more from Jenna Fisher about her great new book. C-Space at CES 2018 brings together the world's innovators, marketers, and creatives in one venue. Discover disruptive trends and how they're going to change the future of brand marketing and entertainment. 
Come share content, creativity, and technology with other industry leaders and expand your creative innovations. Discover C-Space. Register today at CES.tech. And we're back. So obviously you had a long road before you landed your part in the office, but you also had a lot of sort of connections that helped you get that way. It was just, you know, the trying and trying again. Talk about that experience, what it meant to keep going after auditions until you finally landed that part. Yeah, I had a great acting coach, this acting coach out here in L.A. named Robert Devonzo, and he put a mantra in my head, which was create a consistent body of work. And also that I can control um, I can control my readiness, but I can't control my opportunities. So my job is just to keep getting better and keep being more ready to meet an opportunity when it when it comes to me. And so... I just, over a series of years, I kept going in to audition for Allison Jones, who worked a lot with Judd Apatow. And um, sometimes I would get the parts and sometimes I wouldn't. And she'd call me in maybe two, three times a year, sometimes for a lead role in a pilot, sometimes for three lines on something. And um, I just kept doing what my teacher said, which is every time I go in, just show that I'm ready, just give a good performance. And... Because the reason you don't get a role, it's not always because you're not the best person or that you're, or just not, it's not that you're not talented. It's just not the role for your talent. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but it feels like such a personal rejection. You think, oh, if I'd only said that line a different way, maybe the role would be mine, but it just doesn't work that way. It's like, it's a weird thing, right? And there's luck involved and all that. But I just kept telling myself that my job is to create a consistent body of work every time I see these casting directors. And there were two that called me in all the time. It was Allison Jones and Bonnie Zane. And um, it, it sort of seemed like at a certain point, one of these women was going to give me my opportunity, right? Because we, we worked really well together in terms of like, I felt like they trusted me, mm -hmm. that they knew I would do well. And, um, and finally, it was Allison Jones who got hired to cast The Office. And she called me in for Pam. But if I hadn't auditioned for her for five years and shown her over those five years that I was a capable actress, um, who knows if I would have ever gotten called in for Pam, you know? So she, she trusted me and she believed in me and she called me in. So I'm so grateful to her for that. I'm so grateful to her for calling me in five years sure. prior for yeah. ever meeting me. <laughs> <laughs> it shows the persistence pays off. Yes, that's right. That's right. And I had some bad auditions for her. You know, I had some real stinkers. And, um, you know, she was wise enough to know, like, okay, every once in a while we fall on our face. There was a big Steven Spielberg drama miniseries that she called me in for. And, oh, I just, it was awful. <laughs> what and happened? I just was bad. Mm -hmm. I just was bad. I and then I think her her she's she was sort of like, okay, we're gonna keep you with comedy, Jenna. We're just gonna <laughs> like, keep you on the comedy end, I think. Because I think she was like, so much of your comedy comes from realism. Like you you do a lot of the you know, you bring a dramatic element to your comedy. It's not like, you know, haha so overt comedy. But um for this particular drama, like it was so serious and um there was, I don't know what it is. It was just like, I'm doing it very seriously, but it's like, you're still making me laugh somehow, you know? So it's just like, oh, okay, okay. I get it. 
What's interesting too about the acting process is when you were talking about landing the role in the office. So you're going on, you know, you're going out for Pam. Meanwhile, there's a million gyms out there and there's a million gyms trying to get the part. So, so much of it came down to the chemistry that you had with John Krasinski because I think it wouldn't have worked if it hadn't been the two of you. I mean, that's how I feel. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, when I got cast in the role, the first question I asked was, did John Krasinski get Jim? Because I couldn't figure out how I was going to do it with anybody else. Like it's, it was so clear to me because we did a series of screen tests for our auditions where we were mixed and matched with different people, with different Michaels and Dwights and Jims. I was matched with all of them. And every time I was matched with John, it was just the easiest. It was effortless. And he, he brought something out of me that was so Pam, um, that I just didn't have to work hard, you know? And, um, and I was like, oh, man, I hope they cast him because then my job will be very easy. How much of your chemistry between the two of you do you think impacted the storytelling? Were they going off what you, they were seeing naturally on screen between you guys? Um, I'm not sure because when we first started the pilot, um, Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant came in and they were wonderful consultants to us. And they gave us really good advice about the show and things that they learned making their version and advice they had for making an American version. And um, Stephen Merchant in particular talked about the Jim and Pam. You know, I think his philosophy was that people will show up for the comedy and they'll stay for the romance. So just make sure that every episode there's one scene, just one scene where you remind us that these these two people should be together. Um, that that's the heart of the show. And so I think a lot of it was just going into it knowing that that was going to be the, that you know, that was the, the thing that was like the, what do you call that? Like the, the comedy stands alone mm-hmm. each episode, but like... The formula? Or yeah, or just like the, 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 the thing that you're, you need to figure out or that you want to see, like, oh, right. how's that end or how's mm-hmm. that going to be? The hook, the mystery. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Got it. Yeah. Were you surprised by the success of the show? I was completely surprised by the success of the show. Not because I didn't think it was good, because I thought it was the best thing that I'd ever done. I had the privilege of being a part of. Um, but um, because I just didn't know if people would want it. You know, mm-hmm. if Because if it, it, at the time, it was weird. It was the camera work was shaky and sloppy. Um, the actors didn't wear a bunch of makeup or dress really well. You know, it was the comedy was a bit more subversive. And um, but just the whole style and look and premise of the show was was new and kind of weird. And I just, um, you know, it had been done before with like Larry Sanders um, and um and, you know, even Arrested Development, you know, there were so there were like aspects, there were things that helped us get there um and i think because of those other shows our show was able to to make it but um yeah i didn't know if people would watch it i knew it was good mm-hmm. that i knew but i didn't know if people enough people would watch it um i kind of we kind of thought that like the best case scenarios that was that we'd be like freaks and geeks right. you know another show that was just like it was like ahead of its time you know mm-hmm. i think if freaks and geeks came on Three years later, it would have gone for, you know, 10 seasons. Looking back, do you have a favorite moment? Um, gosh, it's hard. My, my favorite memories are when we were all crammed in the conference room. 
because the whole cast was all together. We weren't at our desks um, where it was kind of hard to communicate with other with the whole bullpen, you know, because um, you're you're in your little pods, your desk pods. Um, but when we were all in the conference room and um, we would just crack a lot of jokes in the conference room, a lot of inside jokes. And um, John Krasinski especially would come out of his shell in the conference room. He, he was always really good at like, it's hour seven, we're losing steam. And he would get a second wind and he would just rally us all into hysterics again. Um, but yeah, I think like, I liked that camaraderie that we would have but you also dread doing a conference room scene because our set was really, really cold. Also, we kept it really cold. And if you were at your desk, you could put a blanket on your legs. Like all the girls would wear Ugg boots because we were like in like, you know, we weren't in a suit. So right. we were in like our little skimpy skirts and things. Not skimpy, but, you know, by comparison. And um, if you went in the conference room, you're like, oh, boy, I can't wear my Ugg boots. <laughs> I'm going to be freezing in here. But just the camaraderie with the cast and crew where we're all shoved in that one room, it, it's, it has some of my best memories are from that. I'm sure. Do you think you would ever do an office reunion? Do you think that's something that would ever happen? I don't think it'll ever happen. I feel like um, I, I would do it. Like if there was some circumstance where everybody got back together and um, could be brought back together in some amazing way, um, I, I would say yes. But I'm not sure like that. I'm not sure it's realistic. Mm -hmm. You know, the characters, um, they had arcs. They had growth. And Jim and Pam left Dunder Mifflin. And Michael left Dunder Mifflin. And, um, you know, it would be hard to manufacture why all the people were back working together. And I'm not sure the show works if we're all in different locations. So... That's, I mean, that's somebody else's job. If someone can figure that out, <laughs> sign me up. So, yeah, 100%, 100%. But I immediately start thinking, like, how do Jim and Pam get back from Austin? And Michael's living with Holly now. And so it's right. just, it would almost have to be a scenario where they're like the lost tapes of The Office, mm -hmm. right? Where you just somehow go back in time and there's all of these lost stories where we weirdly look five years older. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, even after the success of the show, you still had challenges as an actor. Talk about you know some of the experiences you've had. Like I know what the Matt LeBlanc pilot didn't work out so well. Yes, yes. I mean that's the thing. I think other people think there's some finish line with acting, and there's just not a finish line. It's always like no matter what like quote unquote level you're at, you're still hustling to get work. Mm -hmm. So. While, yes, I get offered a lot of work now that I didn't before, I used to have to audition for everything, the things I'm being offered may not necessarily be the things I most want to work on. And then the things I really want to work on, I have, still have to prove myself, and I do have to audition. Um, and so it's like a mixture of those, you know, it, I'm still auditioning, I'm still doing all these things, and I say I still get fired. I got fired, finally. Um, it's funny, when I was writing this book, my publisher said, Jenna, um, maybe you should uh, write a little bit about what it's like to be fired because, you know, that happens a lot in this industry. Mm -hmm. And it does. Like, you go, you get a part, you go to the table read, they hear you do the table read, and then on your way home, you get a call from your agent, and they're like, you know what, we're going to go another way oh. with it. I mean, there's so many, that's happened to my friends so many times. I've gotten jobs after people have been fired where they're like, where they're recasting this role because it didn't work out at the table read. 
like, oh boy, I feel kind of bad. I'm like taking somebody else's mm-hmm. part. And I said to Glenn, my publisher, I was like, Glenn, I'm sorry. I just, I've never been fired. So I just, I can't share. I mean, that's so true and it's normal. I'm like, but I don't have an experience. Well, in the process of writing this book, I got a job and got fired. And I'm like, Glenn, did you put that out in the universe to make this book better? Because that was, that was like a really shitty experience. But no, um, after I took a, a maternity leave to have my daughter, I took some time off mm-hmm. from acting um, with two little kids. And I thought, okay, I'm ready to jump back in. And I said to my agents, I said, find me a great three-camera show because they've got the best hours. You work like 10 to 5. I can take my kids to school. They won't even... And in fact, like when I was working on the show, my kids didn't even know I was working. You know, Mm -hmm. it was... I'm like, this is it. This is... I found it. This is the holy grail of combining motherhood and acting. And I did this sitcom pilot where I played Matt LeBlanc's wife on on a CBS sitcom and um seemed to go good i i went in i did the table read and um after the table read i got a phone call jenna they're adding scenes for you because they just loved what you were doing i'm like they're adding scenes i'm (laughs) killing it right i'm like does it get better than that and a really talented group of people james burroughs is directing legend right like how could this get better Tons of snacks everywhere. I took many photos of the snacks. <laughs> the snacks are important. Wonderful catering and craft services on that show. Um, loved everybody. So we shoot the pilot, um, front of a live audience. Great experience. I go home, you know, you have to wait a couple months. And then it's the day they're making the announcements, what shows are getting picked up. I've picked out my outfit for the upfronts presentation, which is the presentation to advertisers of your new show. Like I'm preparing, mm-hmm. right? I've gone shopping. I have hair and makeup on hold because definitely my show's going. So I get the phone call. All my agents are on the phone. My publicist is on the phone. My manager's on the phone. I'm like, oh my gosh, they're so excited. Everyone got on the phone to call me. It's so <laughs> sweet. It's just so lovely. And I'm like, hey guys. And they're like, Jenna, it's bad news. And I was like, the show didn't get picked up? And they're like, it's worse than that. And I was like, how can it be worse than the show not get? And then I was like, oh, did I get fired? And they're like, yes, you did. They're picking up the show, but focus groups didn't love the chemistry between you and Matt LeBlanc. They didn't believe you as a married couple. And since it's Matt's show, they're obviously not replacing Matt. So Ouch. they'll be replacing you. Oh. And it's funny because when I read the pilot and that they offered me the role, right? They came to me and they're like, here's the pilot and do you want to do it? And I'm like, to work with Matt LeBlanc and to do all that. I'm like, yeah, it sounds great. I'm like, but I don't know. Like, is she, I, I feel like she's like, it was written for more of like a Leah Remini kind of ball buster part, right? Like my old headshot mm-hmm. could play this role. <laughs> and, um, and I'm like, they want me? Really? I'm like, well, who am I to argue with someone giving me the great job where my kids don't even know I'm at work? Right. You got it. So my instinct had been a little bit of like a huh, but it was funny and, you know, I liked everybody. And so I, I was like, sure. But yeah, so then I got fired and then, you know, there's two levels to being fired. When, when you're a non-working actor and you get a pilot and then you get fired, it, it's sort of like a private humiliation to deal with. 
But when you're like you've been working for a while and you're me and this is like your first job back since the office, since having your babies, uh, and then it's announced in the press with headlines for months. And, you know, there's like a whole second level of very public like embarrassment that goes along with it. And, um, you know, so that was like, oh, boy, that was a real kick in the stomach. So my response to it, which I lay out in the book, I called my actor friend, Sean Gunn, and I was like, Sean, I got fired. What do I do? And he was like, he said, congratulations. You know, he's like, every actor gets fired at Mm -hmm. some point. He's like, so now you're in the club. And my advice is go out and party, go out and celebrate, get drunk, I don't know, go out of town with your husband, get a babysitter, go out of town, call your parents, have them come watch your kids. You, um, He's like, this is what me and my actor friends do whenever anybody gets fired. We take them out, we celebrate, and we remember what it means to be an artist, why we got in this job in the first place. Lick your wounds. Mm-hmm. And um, just know, like, this, it's okay. Like, it's, these are just, you know, battle scars, and it'll all be all right. And I was like, okay, thank you. <laughs> and so that's what my husband and I did. We, um, we got someone to come watch our kids and we went to palm springs for the day and we um just got drunk and went swimming (laughs) and it was perfect Perfect. and it was very healing and we were like oh okay that was good and then um very shortly after that i got offered a role in a new steve martin play to star in the world premiere of it and work with him um for the summer on it and i was like yeah that's what i need i need to I need to go back to theater mm-hmm. and um, and do theater for three months because that that will heal as well, right. and it did. So I think that would be my other piece of advice for someone who, um, if you get fired in a big way, like if you can go back to your roots and remember why, because that's why I wanted to become an actor in the first place was doing theater. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, yeah, let me go back because this feels awful. So let me go back to the reason why I wanted to do this in the first place. And I've survived. It was a tough year, though. Sure. It was like a lot of emotions. Mm-hmm. And um, I but, made CBS send me the pilot. I was like, please send me the pilot. I need to see if I completely sucked. And they were like, oh, my gosh, absolutely. No, no, no. You didn't suck. You didn't suck. And I'm like, because I don't want to. If I should just not do this kind of sitcom, if I shouldn't mm-hmm. do like a three camera show, just tell me now so that I don't go through this over and over again. They're like, no, no, no. It's OK. It's OK. <laughs> and they sent it to me. And I watched it. And I was like, oh, I was cute. I was fine. Like, but I agreed. There was a weird, it was like, oh, these guys are married. <laughs> there was like, it was a mismatch. Sure. It was it definitely, happens. it happens. It happens. But this does have a happy ending. You have booked other pilots since, and you have a new show coming out on ABC, splitting up together. Yes, I do. Right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's the other part of it. If, if I was, if the Matt LeBlanc show had gone for me, because the show went, it's been on the air, it's two seasons. Um, if I, if I was on that show, I wouldn't have done the play with Steve Martin. Right. Um, I also wouldn't have gotten to work with my dream hero, Mike White, who did a film um, called Brad Status that is, um, that's out with Ben Stiller. Um, I wouldn't have gotten to do that. Um, and I wouldn't be on my new show with Oliver Hudson and um, a show that I feel so perfectly matched to. You know, I would have, you don't want to stay for a long time in a job that you feel like isn't quite right you know i think they were trying i think there was a lot of like 
intellectual, like strategic boxes being ticked with that decision. Like, oh, let's pair Jenna Fisher and Matt LeBlanc and we'll put them on a show and it'll be super funny. They're funny people. But it's like, yeah, sometimes the piece, like you put the pieces together and it's like, yeah, chemistry is a funny thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know why. And then now because of that, no, I have like a big yes that's working in a big way that I love. So... But it's hard to it's hard to believe that those in the time between being fired or having a horrible experience on a project and getting to the good experience again, it's it's hard not to lose faith in yourself in why you started this in the first place. It's like it's a dark time. And but that's the life of an actor and that's kinda what I talk about, that like there is no finish line. If you're if you're doing this and you're like, but one day it'll get easy, it doesn't ever get easier. It doesn't end, you know? And right now I'm in like an uptick. Like things are going good. I'm doing projects and I like all the people and I'm feeling really um, confident about myself. But I, you, it's going to ebb and flow. There's going to be another time when things aren't going my way. And you have to ride that part out too, you know, without becoming self-destructive or... You know, any of the many pitfalls that you see people fall into because this business is kind of emotionally tumultuous. But you're obviously committed to it. And so congratulations on the book and congratulations on the new pilot. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to today's show. We'll be back next time with another great episode. We'll be talking with John Bernthal about his new Netflix series, The Punisher. See you next time. Entertainment Summit, presented by Variety, will showcase emerging technologies and popular themes in entertainment exclusively at CES 2018. From film to television, see how pioneers and innovators of the industry are transforming the entertainment experience. Register today at CES.tech. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.